when I was first getting introduced to Christianity, um, one of the things that was always kind of the highlight of that part of my life was I would go to church camp in the summer. I'm with this small Southern Missionary Baptist Church that I was attending at that time. It was um, late junior high, early high school. Um, I went to Lake Salatiska Baptist Camp uh, for about five years or six years. I can't quite remember exactly when I started going. Um, And if you've ever been to camp, you know it's a pretty common experience to kind of come home with this spiritual high. Like you come home feeling like you are on top of the mountain, that there is nothing in your life that you can't do with God by your side. You come home determined to make Jesus the number one thing, that you're going to obey him in every area of your life. You're going to lead everyone you know to Jesus. You're going to serve in the church and basically single-handedly change the world. That's kind of how you feel coming home from camp. And so it's it's not uncommon to have that feeling when you leave and come home. And one thing I would always... Um, decide I was going to do every single year when I got home from camp was read the Bible. Um, Because one thing that that Southern Missionary Baptist denomination and the Christian church has in common is a really high view of Scripture. You know, that it is of the utmost importance, that it is kind of the basis for what we believe and how we practice our faith. So, you know, they talked a lot about how important the Bible was at this camp. And so I would go home knowing how important the Bible was and also knowing that I didn't know anything about the Bible and I'd never read it and deciding I needed to change that. And so every year I'd leave camp and I'd say, before I go back to camp next year, I'm going to read this thing cover to cover. And I'd open Genesis, and it was okay. Genesis, there was a few confusing spots, but for the most part, there's a story you can follow, right? Um, Especially once you get into the story of Abraham. You can really track, there's an actual story of of a family line, and his sons and grandsons, and on and on it goes, right? So Genesis wasn't bad. Had a pretty good story. You get an Exodus, also pretty good. There's some weird stuff in the middle about where they build a big tent, and you kind of think, okay, I don't quite... Not as, not as interesting as the rest of the story, but okay. And you kind of carry on through that. And then you get into Leviticus. And the first five chapters, at least, of Leviticus are very detailed explanations of all of the laws for how the ancient Israelites are to provide offerings at this tent, which was kind of their portable temple to worship God. And it is just a very detailed thing about what kind of offerings they needed to be. Some were animals, some were bread, some were uh, salted grain, and it depended on the situation about what they brought. Uh, Talked about how the animals were to be uh, butchered and divided up, and some of it was to be burnt completely, and some of it was just to be cooked and eaten, and it just goes on and on, and all of a sudden you're like, I, I, boy, I lost the story somewhere in here. Like, I don't understand what's really going on. It's kind of confusing because they're also using um, units of measurement that we don't have anymore. Um, some of your, if you have a newer Bible, depending on the translation, they will translate that into stuff that we can make sense of. But depending on it, you know, the one Bible I had, it didn't. And so you get things like shekels and weird measurements that you just can't quite uh, totally always understand. And so I was just totally lost. And you get into Leviticus, and these laws, they drag on, and they drag on, and they drag on. And you start realizing, I don't get what this has anything to do with me. I've never seen anybody do any of this stuff I've never been to church where they, you know, killed a bull and cut it up and burnt half of it. Like, I just, I don't understand what's going on. And so, as I would get into Leviticus, eventually, sooner or later, I would stop reading the Bible. 
And I failed year after year after year. And what's interesting is I never, I never made the choice to stop reading the Bible. It was just like one day it was like, oh, I need to read the Bible. Oh, yeah, more of that law stuff. Well, I'm going to do, do this, and then I'll, I, maybe I'll come back to it. Like I, never, like, I never, like, admitted that I was quitting. It was just like day after day. It was like, well, maybe I'll get to that later. And it came later and later and later, and then days and weeks and months passed, and I was finally just like the Bible was collecting dust on my little desk, and I, I'd put it away. And so the Bible is a, it's just a notoriously hard thing to read. It just is. Um, there's a lot of amazing stuff in there. We, I mean, as Christians, we, a lot of us, we believe that. The Bible is so good, but it can be so confusing. It can be uninteresting. It can be boring. It can be really uh, foreign. It can, it can leave you feeling this this feeling that, like, this stuff I'm reading is really detached from my life. I don't get what this has anything to do with me or why I even need to read it. And so much of what the Bible um, is, if you don't have a, a, a little bit of a background, a little bit of a framework for how to approach it, it can lead you to approach the Bible with fear, unease, frustration, because I've tried this every year after camp, and I can't get through the third book. Like, I was so frustrated with it. And, and it can make you feel, again, a lot of times it ultimately ends up leading to apathy. Like, yeah, the preacher says it's good. I should probably read it, but I just can't. I just can't get into it. Whatever the reason is, it can make you feel that way. And if you are a Christian who doesn't read the Bible, let me just tell you, you're not alone. You're definitely not alone. You're in with the majority of Christians living today who do not read the Bible, or at least American Christians today. But you're also in with the majority of Christians who have lived throughout history. Um, Because in throughout history, I mean, most Christians were illiterate. They could not read it. The main way that Scripture was presented to them was when they would go to church and it would be read aloud to them. That was how they would get Scripture. And if they wanted to take it with them when they went home, they had to memorize it so that they could recite these verses over and over again at home and teach them to their children. And so if you don't read the Bible, you are in good company with millions and millions of other believers. But I will say that I do think there's a difference between Christians in ancient times who didn't read the Bible and those of us today who don't read the Bible. Because in ancient times, they couldn't. Either they didn't have the scriptures, it was in a language they didn't know, or it was, it was in a language they knew, but they didn't read that particular language because they were illiterate. But now we live in this age when we have unprecedented access to God's word. I mean, you can get Bibles anywhere. We'll give them to you for free at this church if you want one and don't have one. Um, somebody, some, every now and then people leave a Bible here. And so if you want a nice one, you just got to wait. They pop up every now and then and we can get you a really nice Bible um, and stuff like that. Um, but usually the free ones that we give out probably aren't like top shelf Bibles. But anyway, um, the content is still the same, right? Uh, but the idea is like you can get a Bible anywhere if you have a phone or a computer that has access to the internet. You have access to the Bible right now. You have access to the Bible at home. Um, and that's just how it is. It's all, it, we just have it everywhere. It's never been easier to access scripture. And so unlike in the ancient world when they couldn't read it, if we don't read it today, it's because we are choosing not to. We're choosing to not walk through its pages. And we've chosen to steer clear of it. And I think it would be a shame, given the fact that We have this, again, unprecedented access to Scripture and to never navigate it, to not 
try to pick up the skills necessary to read through the Bible. And so today we're going to start this teaching series called How Not to Read the Bible, because all of us are probably experts in that. And so what we're going to do through this series is we're going to look at principles and methods that we need to keep in mind when we, go to the, when we approach Scripture that will help us open the amazing understanding in its pages, open the, the, the meaning behind those laws so that maybe you read that through that stuff and go, this doesn't directly apply to me, but you can learn about God while you read it. You can understand more about his character, his nature, and what he was doing in that moment of history. Um, but since this is how not to read the Bible, what I'm going to try to do every week is draw out one of the mistakes that we make when we come to Scripture. One of the common mistakes that, that everybody makes when you approach Scripture that has been getting in the way of you being able to create a habit of reading the Bible. And so today's mistake, mistake number one of this series, that is, I mean, and it's such a common one, I don't want you to feel dumb if you make this mistake. Almost everybody makes this mistake, even some seasoned Christians. And here it is. Treat the Bible like any other book. That's a mistake. To treat the Bible like any other book is a mistake. Now, in our modern world, here's what Bibles look like. Okay? Sometimes they're a little different shape. Sometimes the color is different. Sometimes they're floppy and soft leather covers or whatever. But... What does this look like? A book. Yeah, right? In fact, if I just said, hey, which one of these are Bibles and which ones aren't, you probably couldn't tell, right? They look exactly the same. This is why we pick up the Bible and go, it's a book. I'm going to read it like a book. I'm going to treat it like any other book. And so here's the thing about books. Um, they are bound in one single volume, right? And they typically tend to be one kind of literature, okay? Most books are one type of literature, right? If you pick up a book on poetry, you expect it to kind of be poetry. If you pick up a biography, you realize it's going to be a story about someone's life from the beginning to the end. If you pick up an instruction manual, it's going to be that boring insert you know, tab A into slot B nonsense from beginning to end. Like, you kind of just get that, right? Every, or most books are these one type of literature. Most books are one thing as you read through them. So whether it's a fiction like Lord of the Rings or a reference book like a dictionary, a book of poetry, or an instruction manual, most books tend to be one thing all the way through. And so if you're not a, even a reader, you learned in school that when you pick up a book, overwhelmingly, it is going to be one thing all the way through. And that's the mistake I made when picking up the Bible, and I bet you've made that mistake too. And there's a couple of problems that can happen when you do that, okay? Um, so, for instance, I used to pick it up, and you get into Genesis, and it's not too long before you start realizing, okay, there's a story here. There's characters, and they're doing things, and, and you know, they're interacting with God, and they're interacting with each other. Okay, it's a story. This is a book that is a story. And so you read. And that's how I would get through Genesis and Exodus. There was some weird stuff in there, sure, but I could follow the story. And then I got into Leviticus, and it's like, oh, no, the story went away. What just happened? I've lost it. I don't understand the story anymore. I, can't, I, can't, I don't know what to do with this new thing I'm reading because it's not what it was like 
just pages before. And so you can get really, really lost. And that's what I did. Every year I came home from church camp and I'd crack it open thinking I was going to read it cover to cover because it was a story. And then I would not at all understand as the story shifted to being this explanation of laws and other stuff. And then heaven help me if I cracked it open even further and I found my way into one of the prophetic books which can just really sound out there to you. And they give these illustrative references to monsters covered in eyeballs and all kinds of things like that. And so you can suddenly, again, feel like you're reading a story, but it changes. It's not all one thing. Um, Another common assumption, instead of just being like a a story, a narrative book, a lot of people come to the Bible with the assumption that this is a how-to book. It's a how-to book for how to live out my faith. And so I'm just going to supposed to look at the people in this book, and the, the heroes are going to show me how to live, and the villains are going to show me what not to do. And if there's instructions in there, okay, it's just a how-to book for what to do. And I have oftentimes approached the Bible thinking that it would just give me the hows and how-nots to be a good Christian. Um, but there, again, can be problems that arise with that idea. Um, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, where I struggled when I first started reading the Bible, even those early books, um, when I'd come to people like Moses and Abraham, because when you think it's a how-to book and the heroes are examples, you have to justify any bad stuff they do. You gotta, Because when they do something bad, you're like, well, apparently this is okay because I guess I'm supposed to be like Moses and I'm supposed to do everything that Abraham does. And so how do I figure this out? And so you get to this part where like Moses kills a guy and I'd be, I'd be like, well, I guess it, he was a bad guy. He was a slave driver, and so it's okay that Moses killed him. Like I, When I was thinking, this is a book that's going to show me exactly how to live, I couldn't understand how to make sense of the, the good people that did bad things. And so uh, my assumption was that I just had to kind of, well, it not, it's not that I ever read it and thought, well, I guess i got to go kill people. Like, I didn't quite go that far. But I, again, I couldn't understand what to do with it. So... That happens a lot. What do I, if this is a how-to book, um, how do I make sense of all this stuff? Especially when you get to those weird Old Testament laws. Okay, For instance, in Leviticus chapter 19, it says, You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. Okay, We live in a farming area. It means if you want to try to crossbreed some cows to make a better milk cow or a better beef cattle, you know, you can't do that according to Leviticus 19. It also says, um, you shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment, excuse me, a garment made of cloth, a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. Oh boy, that means these jeans that I'm wearing that are 98% cotton and 2% spandex um, are sinful. These jeans that I, the only reason I can still wear them after my gaining that quarantine 15, you know, for the last however many years, right? The only reason I can even put these on is because of that 2%, okay? But that 2%, it says, is that sinful? I, you know, I don't know what to do with this stuff if this is a how-to book. And you get to this stuff where it's like, do Christians do this stuff? No one's ever talked to me about breeding cattle or the kind of clothes I wear as a Christian. And then just a few verses later, we get even more. It says in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 27, He says, you shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. So again, picture me back, I mean, I'm 14, 15. 
And I'm like, you can't sh- cut your beard? Like, does that mean I can't shave? Because at that point in my life, I didn't have any ability to grow a beard. All I had was this little, barely there little dirt stash that was so gross and did not, it did not need to be allowed to grow out, okay? And so, like, I'm like, I don't think, you know, if I got to choose between doing this or never having a girlfriend, I'm sorry, Bible, like, you're done. Like, I'm going to have to shut you and walk away for the time being and just pretend. And nobody ever taught me, like, nobody ever talked about this. And then, like, can Christians not get tattoos? Like, how does that work? Because I know a lot of people with tattoos. Are they sinful? What's going on? And again, there's a lot of problems that arise when you try to think that the Bible is just one thing. It's all one thing that's supposed to, it's one type of literature that's going to be consistent from beginning to end. It's just not. And so the shift in mindset that you have to make, the first thing I think when you're approaching Scripture is you've got to understand that the Bible isn't a book. It's a library. In and of itself, the Bible is a library. Yes, sure, we've taken it and we've put it into these nice, compact, book-looking packages, but that was for convenience. That's so that we can have all of God's wisdom carried with us at all times. That's why the Bible got bound up this way, out of convenience, not because people thought this needs to be all indistinguishable because they're all the same. That's not the reason why we have the Bible that way. And so the Bible is actually not one type of literature, but 66 different pieces of literature. 66 different pieces of literature. And that, as you'll see in just a minute, that even depends on if you're a Christian or if you're Jewish, how, the, how you divide those up. It wasn't written at one point in time to be one thing. It was written, the Old Testament was written over 1,500 years. Imagine how different the writing style might be between somebody who wrote now and somebody who wrote back in 500 AD. Like, that's a long time, and it was written over this huge period, which meant that for a long time, people didn't even have all of these writings. It was a growing library of documents and pieces of literature. And so they're not all the same. There's actually a lot of different genres or types of literature. Some are narrative, yeah. Genesis and Exodus have a good amount of story. Even Leviticus has some story. I just never got to it when I was young because I couldn't get through the law stuff. Um, There's books like Psalms that we read at the beginning of our service this morning. It's poetry. It's flowery. It's emotional. Um, It's not always, um, as with a lot of our emotional stuff, it doesn't always come across as very holy and kind, but it's honest and real. Um, you have other bits of it that are prophecy that can, I mean, even, even seasoned Christians can get really lost in the prophecy stuff. It can be really kind of wild. Um, there are um, books called wisdom literature that, that um, are kind of in that how-to genre a little bit. Um, the book of Proverbs, it almost reads like you grabbed a giant handful of fortune cookies opened them one at a time, and then wrote them down into a book. That's kind of how it reads. Um, There's also personal letters from one person to another or one person to an entire church. So there's a lot going on in the Bible. And so if you read these thinking they're all going to be the same, no wonder we end up confused. No wonder we end up. And then what really can be tricky is sometimes in in, in one book of the Bible, one document, the genre will, will change a little bit. 
Like Leviticus, there's moments where it's a story, and there's moments where we get these um, explanations of the law. And so it can be two different things in one document. Now, to help us break out of this idea that Scripture and the Bible, it's just a book like any other book, it's all one thing, I think it's best for us to travel back to, let's say, the first century, um, when Jesus was... Um, going to the temple and the synagogue, okay? They would have not had a book of the Bible. In fact, they would have had these collections of scrolls. And the Bible, at least the Old Testament that they had then, it wasn't just a collection of scrolls. It was three different collections of scrolls, mainly dependent on when these things were written. And so you have the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and what was called the law. Or the, the you, probably, you might have heard the Hebrew word, the Torah, or the Torah. The second section was eight scrolls called the prophets. Um, and what's interesting is some of the things in our Bible that we call multiple books in here would be one. Okay, so we have first and second Samuel. They would have just had Samuel. We have first and second kings. They would have just had kings. Um, we have 12 books of the minor prophets. They had one scroll called the Twelve. Um, and so it would have been bound up, not in a book, but rolled up in a scroll. And I also learned this week, you know how when you see in movies and stuff, people, they got the scrolls and they got those wooden, like big old handles, pretty wooden handles? Most ancient scrolls didn't have that. They might have had something in there to kind of help start the rolling process and for it to hang on to, but they didn't have those big fancy like rolling pins on each end of it kind of helping it roll up. And so then, so you had the, the law, the prophets, and then the the very kind of generically named writings, okay? And this had kind of everything else, a little bit of everything, has psalms in it. Psalm was the biggest scroll in the writing section, and so oftentimes um, you'll find in the New Testament especially, it's reference to the law, the prophets, and the psalms. Because since psalm was like the major scroll and it was such an important part of worship, it just kind of became shorthand for this entire category. In fact, if you want to look at... um, In Luke chapter 24, we see Jesus talking about Scripture, the Old Testament Scriptures that he had at the time. Okay, He says, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so this makes it a lot easier to try to differentiate between thinking it's a book. You can see here all of the different documents. And if you're like the type A person that I am, Abby makes fun of me. Because anytime I read a book, I have to read everything in the book. Or it doesn't count. If I quit one chapter to the end, I didn't read that book. If I don't read the introduction, it doesn't count in my brain. I didn't read that book. She makes fun of me. And so when I approached the Bible, I always thought, I got to read. Genesis, start in Genesis. Why? Because it's page one. That's where you start when you read a book. You start in Genesis and you go through Revelation. Okay, but when you look at it as scrolls, okay, what's the first scroll in this collection, in this bucket? I mean, it gets a little mixed up, and it's not as important as it is the way we've categorized it and grown up with the scriptures. Yes, Genesis, by the way, is a word that means beginnings, so they knew that that's probably a good place to start. Like, they knew the order of some of these stories and what scrolls to read them in, but for the most part, a lot of the stuff, like, where is the right 
order. That, even that goes away when you understand this isn't a book we're dealing with. It's a little mini portable library of God's word that we get to carry with us anywhere we go. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And so there were all these, again, different scrolls. And what's interesting is maybe not every synagogue even had all of them. I mean, these had to be painstakingly hand-copied. Um, just to give myself an idea, I did this as much for me as it did for you. I just wanted to see um, this week. By the way, the gold is not because I think, look at this important scripture. It was because I didn't have any string at our house, and I dug this out of our Christmas wrapping paper. Um, but I went in and just wanted to see, okay, if I just took the Hebrew of an Old Testament book, and I printed just lines of Hebrew, how long would it be? How, how, like, what were the size of some of these scrolls? And so I just took the book of Daniel, because it was 12 chapters, so kind of a medium-sized book, and um, when I tried copying and pasting Genesis, which is 50 chapters, my computer locked up hard, and so I went back to a smaller book. So this is Daniel, right? And I, I did it right to left. I taped the pieces of paper together, just to kind of give us an understanding like, it's a, I mean, there's a lot going on here, you know? That was like 26 pages of scroll. And so this is kind of, like, this doesn't look like a book to me. It doesn't feel like a book to me. And, and it didn't have chapters or verses. And so there's a lot of a different kind of way of looking at Scripture that we didn't always, uh, we, we don't always understand until we kind of travel back in time a little bit. And so to help us understand, it's not a book. It's a library. And so you can't approach this scroll like you're going to approach this scroll. It, it helps us to look at each document as it is and say, okay, what is this? What was the purpose of it? Who wrote it? Why did they write it? What's going on here? And the benefit of modern Bibles is that a lot of them, if you open them at the beginning of the books, they'll have little explanations of what's going on. But you probably have never read them because... Reading the Bible is hard enough, and you're like, I think this is not part of the Bible, so I don't need to read it. Like, reading the Bible is hard enough, I don't need to add to this chore of reading the Bible that I already think is kind of difficult and hard. But those can help you understand what these books were written for. And so when you understand that it is not a book, it is a library. I know it looks like a book. It looks just like a book. But a platypus looks like a beaver rear-ended a duck, and it's not either one of those things, okay? We've got to kind of look at this differently and when you approach Scripture. So, venturing back in your minds to a time before even book binding became a thing, and here's what's interesting. The way, uh, the idea of kind of putting a document in a foldable thing, it was originally called a codex, it wasn't a Christian invention, but Christians because we were traveling all over the world spreading the gospel, Christians kind of took that on and started to perfect it and led to kind of the modern uh, book overtaking these little collections of scrolls. It was a Christian thing, or at least the reason why it succeeded. And so when we appreciate each thing for what it is and understand a little bit about it going into it, what kind of writing it is, is it poetry, is it prophecy, what's the point, who wrote it and to who, understanding a little bit of that stuff really, really can help you open up your understanding of scriptures. And so you check each book and, and understand what it is and why it was written and even how it fits into the larger story. Because there is a timeline. Even though some of it's not telling you the st story, there's a timeline of events from Adam to the exile in the later books of the Old Testament to Jesus that you can follow if you kind of know what's going on here. And so knowing that can really, really help. 
And what's even more interesting is when you kind of start to see that this is a library of books written 1,500 years apart, some of it, it becomes even more amazing when you realize this is telling one story. Like this is all a part of one big, amazing work of God to redeem human history through Jesus. And how can these books that were written so far apart in such different circumstances, how can they all kind of be pieces to this one puzzle? It becomes this really amazing realization. Okay, now after all of that, you might be thinking, great, that's great, I'd never thought of it as scrolls before. In fact, I actually, I actually follow some guys where they talk about, they say the Genesis scroll. That's how they talk about it, to try to get their brains out of thinking of it like a book. But you might be thinking, okay, Anthony, I've never seen it like this, that's great, that's somewhat helpful, sort of, I guess, but I, what is this going to do to help me understand the Bible? Like, it's a library, not a book, great. You're telling me it's complex and it's different, and I can't assume that it's all one thing, Great, you just made it sound more intimidating and less fun or, you know, less likely that I'm going to open it up, right? Okay, well, I have two things to say to that. Number one, this is only week one. Only week one. We're going to add to this little bit of knowledge every single week. This is just one thing to know, one thing to understand. Hopefully, as we go, we're going to add to it some stuff that's going to make it a lot more helpful and a lot more accessible. And also, through the course of this series, I'm going to be posting some little videos online of the stuff that, you, I mean, if we broke down like a how to read the Bible thing, we would be doing this for a year. So I'm going to try to put some of that extra content online to help open up some of the things that we talked about here. So hopefully, this week, I'm going to be talking about the different types of literature in the Bible, so how you read them, how you understand them, and that's and so much, uh, so much, uh, so forth. There we go, and so, um, but I just want us to start by understanding that the Bible is an incredibly, incredibly amazing thing. It really is. Yes, we have them, and like I said, we've never had access to it before. But that doesn't mean that it is common in the history of mankind. There is nothing, there is nothing like the Bible. Uh, I mean, there's no, even the, when you look at just the category of, of religious texts, there's nothing like the Bible that was written over such a huge course of history that tells the, the expanse of events that it tells, and it all ties together and all points to Jesus. It is absolutely amazing, and for us to have it like we do, we are fortunate. It is not a burden that you have, oh, i got to read the Bible because I'm a Christian. No, it is a joy and a blessing, and there are many Christians in the world who can't have access to it the way we do, whether because there's not a Bible in their, in their language or because it's illegal, whatever it might be. There are Christians around the world that say, man, that is amazing that you guys have that. You're so lucky. In fact, I've heard um, a, a Christian in China where it's illegal to have scripture. You know, they asked a, a, an American pastor when he was visiting, they said, so like, is it true that everybody has a Bible? And he's like, yeah, usually people got three or four. He's like, is it also true that they don't read it very often. He's like, well, yeah, unfortunately, that's true. And they said, how can that be that they have this thing that we would love to have and love to have free access to, and nobody reads it? So our perspective needs to shift a little bit, and we need to understand the privilege that we have in being able to access Scripture. And if we take the time to understand it, to do a little work into kind of gaining that set of skills needed to make sense of this document, and open its pages, what we're going to come face to face with is the God of the universe. We're going to learn about him. We're going to learn about his love for us. We're going to learn about ourselves and how he wants us to live and how he wants us to live and serve other people. And we will see the ruthless determination that he worked with throughout history to come and save you. That's what you're going to see, that God stopped at nothing to save you and to save me. 
And so maybe you're not the reading type. I totally understand that. Maybe you've tried and read before and failed. Uh, maybe you've you know, thought, oh gosh, how to read the Bible. This is not going to be for me because I don't see myself ever reading the Bible. Let me just ask you, stick with me. We got a few weeks of this left. We're going to try to, again, get a foundation for what it takes to read and make sense of the Bible. And you won't be an expert or anything by the time uh, we're done with this, but hopefully you have a decent start. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are grateful for our time where we can um, come and, and give our, our energy into understanding your word. I thank, I thank you for just the chance that we have to, on a daily basis, have access to scripture. It's not illegal. It's not frowned upon. We can share it as much as we want to with anybody we want to. It is, it is, we just have such access to it. We can look it up in a bunch of different translations if we want to, one that makes more sense to us than one that sounds a little bit um, older and outdated in terms of language. We just have amazing access to it, and it's your word, and your Holy Spirit works through it to open our eyes to sin, to open our eyes to the path you would like us to take, open our eyes and give us strength to new ways to live. And I just pray, Father, that we would, we would care. Pray that you'd fill us with a passion for wanting to read it, to understand that it's such a joy to have access to it, and that we wouldn't limit our, our encounter with Scripture um, to someone explaining it to us one day a week, but we would take it seriously and, and, and look forward to it. And even if we know that going into it, we're not going to understand everything, at least we would know that in its pages we have a chance to, to start meeting you and learning more about you. So thank you again, Father, for this amazing, amazing thing that we call the Bible and for all these documents that you have allowed to be preserved throughout history. Um, and I just pray that we, again, we don't ignore it. Uh, I, I just pray that of all the things we don't have feelings toward the Bible, I pray that apathy is just not one of them um, because... That's the saddest thing of all. If we have the creator of the universe who put so much effort into speaking to his people and for us to not care would be really sad. And I just pray that that might inspire us to do the little work that we need to do to understand it um, a little bit better. Thank you again for this opportunity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.